Turn in your Bibles to the book of Ephesians. My name is Tim Bidall, and I've got the great privilege of serving as lead pastor here, and I've got the great opportunity this morning to open up the Bible and to teach from it, and we're in the book of Ephesians as a church, looking under the heading uh, of this title of this series, this question, Who Am I? Who am I? And uh, if you want to, on your phone, uh, on a Bible app, or or with a hard copy, you can be in Ephesians chapter 2 this morning. We're going to be in verses 11 through 22. And we're going to be looking at uh, this idea that there's a wall that needs to be torn down. There's a wall that needs to be torn down. There are walls in our lives, whether we know it or not, that need to be torn down. Now, walls are structures that are built that we put up for a reason. Usually, walls are built up to create a barrier between us and someone else usually to create some level of separation between two people or two nations. There's probably no better picture than, of that uh, than the wall of separation that came uh, in 1945 between the United States and the Soviet Union in the city of Berlin, the Berlin Wall. 90-some miles long, this wall would stand for about 50 years. It would serve as a way to stand as a symbol between communism and democracy. It would stand as a way to keep people under the hedge of communism outside of liberty. For 50 years, more than 200,000 people would attempt to try to break through the wall with only 5,000 ever being successful in accomplishing it. Hundreds of people would lose their lives in trying to scale this wall because there were more than 300 guard towers that were manned, making sure you never got near uh, the ability to get beyond it. As a result, uh, the United States would send presidents over and over again, begging and, and coercing the Soviet premiers to tear down the wall. In 1987, Ronald Reagan, the sitting president at the time, would utter words that would uh, ring true in, in history when he would say, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall, standing in front of the Brandenburg Gate, right in front of the Berlin Wall. It would be another two years before those words would become a reality, when the people of Berlin would begin tearing down the wall, and the wall not only in Berlin would come down, but the wall of communism just months later would come tumbling down. Walls Walls that need to come down. Well, walls along nations are things that need to come down. But let's talk about walls in our lives. There are walls in our lives all over the place. In fact, Paul in our text is going to talk about the dividing wall of hostility in Ephesians 2.14. And there's dividing walls of hostility in our lives. And some marriages, maybe even represented today, between husband and wife, they're dividing, there's a divided wall of hostility. You two who were supposed to be in love with one another, now there's this wall, this wall that separates you two. Maybe between kids and parents, there's this wall of hostility. You can't even talk with one another. Uh, you're, you're at odds with one another. There's this wall of hostility. 
Maybe tomorrow you're gonna go to school and you've got a teacher where there's this wall of hostility. Maybe you're gonna go to work and you've got a boss where there's this wall of hostility. Maybe you're gonna go to one of those two places and there's this person, there's this enemy that you have and there's this wall of hostility. Maybe there's this enemy in your life and you have built this wall of hostility that you've built there so that they can't come across that wall. You've built it to keep yourself protected. You see, we build these walls to keep those people out so that they can't be involved in our lives. Now, why in the book of Ephesians would Paul write to this church in the first century and say that this wall of hostility, that Jesus has brought this wall down, that he's torn this wall down? What Paul is going to write about is he's writing to a church which, is, which was in the first century in modern-day Turkey. He writes to this church that had a, two groups of ethnicities in it, Jews and Gentiles. So a group of people from Jewish background and a group of people that were all other races. And the problem was is they all were under the banner of being Christians. They had all believed that Jesus was the Savior. Jesus was the answer to their problems in this world and in the world to come. But just because they believed that Jesus was the answer, the problem was is they didn't like one another. And so a wall of hostility was created. And so imagine this for a moment. Imagine that they came to church to worship Jesus, Jews and Gentiles. Uh, now let's change it for a moment because in the 21st century, we don't understand that Jews and Gentiles, it doesn't make any sense to us. Imagine, if you will, think of Shakespeare's, it's the Montagues and the Capulets, right? Or it's the Hatfields and the McCoys. Or it's the, uh, help me out, West Side Story, it's the sh uh, sharks and the jets. Am I there? Okay. Uh, or it's the bears and the packers. Okay. All right. Let's, let's do it better. It's the eagles and the chiefs, right? No, who cares? Okay. All right. So, so we build these walls. It's them versus us. It's the U.S. versus the Russians. It's, and and you, can, you can put it in there. It's that table at the, in the cafeteria against our table in the cafeteria. It's that side of the tracks against our side of the tracks. It, it's that town versus our town. We do it all the time. It's our company against their company. And we build this wall of hostility. And so this book of Ephesians that's written, that we've got in our hands, was a letter that was written to this church, very similar to what we have. And I've shared this in the first two services that we've had this morning here. And I want you to picture this. The Apostle Paul, St. Paul writes this letter. He is most likely in jail for preaching Christ. He's written this letter to this church. The letter has come, and one of the leaders of the church, like myself, is about to read the letter. The letter is about to be written to a group of people, half Jew, half Gentile, okay? Now, probably because we've got this mix of people who don't like one another, we got the Gentiles over here seated. Okay, you're the Gentile group over here. Yay, Gentiles, okay? 
Now we got the Jewish group over here. Yay, Jewish people over here, okay? And we're reading through chapter one and everything's fine, okay? Everything's going great and we've read through and everything's fine. And then we get to verse 11 of chapter two and Paul drops an absolute bomb. And the reason why is Paul has been with the Ephesians. He knows the church. He's been to their potlucks. He's played softball with them, and he knows how they operate. And this is what he says. Notice in verse 11. Therefore, remember that at one time you, and he points, he goes over here, you Gentiles, okay, in the flesh, called, and now he air quotes, the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision. So he goes, okay, you Gentiles who are called, let's just, so everybody remembers what you guys were called, the uncircumcision by whom? Let's just remember who called you that derogatory term, these guys over here. He just dropped a bomb. Okay, to help you understand in the first century what's going on here, Paul says this, hey guys on this side of the room, let's remember what you guys were called, and he drops a racial slur on them, okay? And he drops this racial slur on them, and he says, I want you to remember what you were called, and then he makes it even more uncomfortable. He says, you were called that by the other side of the room. Now let's everybody stand up and greet one another, okay? How awkward, Talk about, my, my goodness, this is an awkward conversation. What he's saying here is this. The Jewish side of the room thinks that the Gentile has thought and maybe still does, thinks the Gentile side of the room is less than human. They're trash. They're not worth anything. And even though... They may let you in the church. Deep down inside, they're thinking all kinds of ill thoughts about things. And Paul says, not only do they think that you're physically less than human. No, listen what he goes on. He says, verse 12, remember, here's the second remember, that you, Gentiles, that's this side of the room, that you were at that time now notice what he says. He's going to give some characteristics about you. You were separated from Christ, number one. Number two, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. Number three, strangers to the covenant of the promise. Number four, having no hope. Number five, without God in the world. Five characteristics about you. In a nutshell, what he's saying, I'm going to talk to this side of the room. In a nutshell, what he's saying is spiritually, you got nothing going for you. Physically, you're trash. Spiritually, you got nothing going for you. So this is what this side of the room, this is what you're thinking. The reason why you guys can be haughty about that side of the room is because you believe in your heart, your feelings about them is, the, is God's feelings about them. Does that make sense? So you feel totally vindicated that the way you feel about them is totally okay because God feels that way about them. Listen, be very careful, friends, when you start presuming how God feels about people 
because that's when real damage is done. Because then you start doing things because you presume upon God that you're fighting his holy war against people. And so these Jewish people are thinking we are totally within our right to treat these individuals as if they're second-class citizens, less than human beings. They've got no hope. They're without God. They've got nothing. So what are we supposed to do with this? Here's this situation going on. This isn't in our area code. This happened 2,000 years ago, a half a world away. What are we to understand from this? Point number one. We love, we love building up walls. We love building up walls of hostility. There is something true to humanity that loves building up walls. We love it. We love building up walls. We've loved it since the Garden of Eden. The second Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, remember, they're walking around, I don't mean to be funny about this, but they're walking around naked and, and having a great old time, and then they chomp on the fruit, and what's the first thing they do? They go and cover themselves, right? Why? They were totally fine being naked, husband and wife, no issue, and then they start covering themselves. The covering of themselves is wall number one. Did you know that? That's the first wall. They start building walls of separation from one another. Those walls of separation then feed to their children. Walls of separation, Cain and Abel. Cain kills Abel, wall of separation. And we go on throughout history, we've got wall upon wall, walls of racism, walls of covetousness, walls of theft, walls of war, everything of human history. We've got wall upon wall upon wall. Every bit of, of trespass and sin we see in the world is a wall of separation that we've created. Every hurt and every pain, everything that you saw in Diane's story today are walls of hostility that people have built up against one another. We are big on building these walls of separation, these walls of hostility. And so here's this church, this church that is supposed to find its identity in Christ, and it's building these walls of separation. Now you say, okay, well listen, we're in the 21st century. We have heard the dream that Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. had. We've watched Rosa Parks. We, we, don't, we don't believe that, that that's an issue anymore. As little kids, we sang, Jesus loves the little children of the world, red and yellow, black and white. They are precious in his sight. So we've got a down Jew, Gentile. We don't have any issue. Color-wise, we don't have any issue. So ethnically, that's not a problem. And maybe, maybe. So we say the ethnic question. Do you have an issue with people that aren't ethnically different than you? Well, Jesus here says you shouldn't. Racism is something that should not be part and parcel of the Christian life. It should be eradicated from Christianity altogether. But let's move on. We build walls. So we start, start making these walls. We do it politically. 
And so we have this list of things, all these things. Well, the way I vote is the way you have to vote. Now, are there core convictions of things we should be voting for? Sure. But we say, you've got a line item vote for everything I do. And if you don't, then I start questioning if you are a Christian or not, if you're going to be in heaven or not. Then we do it with a list of beliefs that we have. And if you don't believe exactly the same way I believe, then you're not going to be in heaven. God doesn't love you. And we build up walls. And then we look at each other's lives and we say, well, if you don't live the same way I live, then, then you can't be a Christian. And we build up walls. We love building up walls. We love building lists. We love telling people they're not in with God. But God forbid if someone ever tells us that we're not in. God forbid if someone doesn't show us mercy we want mercy, but we don't want people to have mercy. So here, the Gentiles are dying. This side of the room, man, when Paul is reading, or this is being read from Paul, they must have been dying. Paul is the guy that they look up to, and they, they're hearing this, and they're going, man, does Paul think that we're these things? And at the end of verse 12, they gotta be dying. But just like he did in verse 3, Paul, for the sake of effect, has them thinking really, really dark thoughts. And then he allows the sun to shine in verse 4. And he does it in verse 13. And he does it with the same word, but. But. But now, Gentiles, but now, in Christ, you, this side of the room, you who were once far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Okay, so let's stop here. Why is this important for everybody in the room? Because maybe today there's someone in the room who feels far off from God. Maybe today there's someone in the room who's, who's looking at their life and they're saying, I've done this sin, I've done this sin, I've done this sin, I, I'm doing these things, and, and my life is full of shame, my life is full of all kinds of rebellion and all kinds of bad things, and nobody knows about it, and I've been told I'm worthless, I'm told I've been, I'm trash, I'm told I'm a waste of space, I'm told I'm good for nothing, and what Paul is saying here in one sentence is this, but now, you who were once, and let me paraphrase what Paul is saying here, you who were once called trash, you who were once were called good for nothing, you who were once said that you never had a chance, you have been brought near by the blood of Christ. There's a second chance for you. There's a new day for you. There's mercy and grace for you. If you have come and you are at the end of yourself, I want you to know today, Jew, Gentile, male, female, young, old, the worst of sinners, or if you think you're the best of saints, there's a new day because of Jesus Christ. And you can have it. And you can have it because Jesus has come to make all things new. And here's why. Because even though we love building up walls of hostility, point number two, Jesus loves breaking down those walls. This is what's crazy. Christian, if you love building up walls, you're a contradiction of terms because the Savior you love loves breaking them down. So the very walls you're building up, he's sitting there with a sledgehammer trying to break them down. 
So notice what verse 14 says. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of the commandments expressed in his ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. Four times in those verses, it says that Christ brought peace. So why aren't you? Why am, I not, why am I not? The thing that we are to bring is peace. How do we do it? First, write this down, we have to have vertical peace. We have to have vertical peace. Listen to me, there will not be peace in our world until we have peace with God. And so it begins, first of all, in verse 13, that we who are far off must be brought near to God. Listen to me. If you have strife in your marriage, you will not have peace in your marriage until you first have peace with God. You will not have peace in your family until you first have peace with God. We will not have peace in this church until we first have peace with God. We will not have peace in this nation until we first have peace with God. We will not have peace in this world until we first have peace with God. Until we have peace with God. Horizontal peace, if we don't have that vertical peace, listen to me, church, we will, the horizontal peace is a pipe dream. And so, We've got to get that piece down. And so some of us right now are wondering, why is life so hard? Why is life so unpeaceful? Why is it so turbulent? And the reason why is I'm fighting God. I'm in Adam. I'm in rebellion against God. And I need to be in Christ. That is, I'm to be in submission to Christ and his plan and his, his direction for my life. And once I get there, then that wall between me and God comes down. Now I don't have any walls between me and other people. And that allows for horizontal peace, peace with one another to be there. So notice what happens. He came and he preached peace to us. He preached peace to us. Now how did he preach peace to us? Notice in verse 17, he came and he preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So here's what we've got going on. Whether you are a Gentile or a Jew or whatever you are, black or white, Asian or Hispanic, whether you were clean cut or you came from the rough side of the tracks, whatever your list of sins were, your story is the same. I said this in the first two services and I'll say this. We show these That's My Stories videos once every six or so weeks. And I hope you see that they, are, they hold the same storyline. And the same storyline is this. Before I came to know Jesus, my life was a dead end. I kept running into brick walls. And I finally came to the realization by the work of the Holy Spirit in my life, I needed a change, and Jesus was that change. 
And Jesus changed my life. And now my life is different because he has saved me and he is changing me. And because of that, I'm a new person. There's the story. That's my story. And you could say same old story, same old song and dance, right? And Diane told the same story, and it's the same story Nikki shared, and it's the same story Lewis shared, and we've seen that story. And you guys should start yawning because it's the same story. It's the same story, right? It is in the sense that there's unity in that story. Now, the storyline changes because the walls that they ran into are different walls. And one's, one wall is in a wall of addiction. Another wall is a, the wall of an abortion. Another wall is a wall of, of pursuing fame and fortune. Another wall is self-righteousness. Another wall, and you just keep going and we keep running into all these different walls. Here's the problem. The walls of hostility that we put up against one another is we judge those walls. Well, you ran into that wall? What kind of person runs into that wall? Well, who cares? Both of us are bloodied. Who cares what brick wall you ran into? They left you with a bloody nose. They led you to Jesus. And so what Paul says is, it doesn't matter, Jew or Gentile, it doesn't matter where you were, because at the end of the day, it led you to Jesus, the same Jesus. And so here's the thing. It doesn't matter where we started because it always leads us to the same Savior. We all have to get to the same Savior to get to God. And so we lead to the same Jesus, to the same cross, who tears down the wall of hostility, who kills that hostility through the cross, who makes the Jew and Gentile one, and we have access through the one Spirit to the Father in heaven, and so what does it do to us? It changes how we view ourselves, write this down, and it changes how we view others. Now we've got a decision to make. Because of what now Paul has taught us, now we need to understand something about ourselves and about others. Let's look at ourselves. You're not trash. You're not good for nothing. You're not a waste of space. God has purpose. God has planned good and great things for you. Don't let anybody tell you something different. And I don't care who they are. Diane's parents told her at some point, I, with all due respect, Diane's parents were wrong. She wasn't trash. And you're not either. So I don't care who the person is, they're wrong. You're not the waste that people say you are. No matter who they are in your life, God says you are his creation, created in Christ for good things. And so you need to know that, and you need to recognize that, and you need to believe that about yourself. And if you believe that about yourself, listen to me, if that is true of you, then it's true of whom? Others. So if you're going to receive that for yourself, then you can't treat others like trash. You can't treat others less than, than human. Because we have to treat others as we would want to be treated. 
And so here's what Paul finishes up with, and I'll close with this. Paul says this, so then, so in light of, verse 19, in light of what we've just heard, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints. Write three truths down from each of these three verses. Number one, you and I need to recognize, both for ourselves and others, that in Christ there are no outsiders in the kingdom of God. There are no outsiders in the kingdom of God. So stop treating people like outsiders and stop feeling like one. It's not true. There's no outsiders. He says, you're a citizen. You're a saint. Number two, and members of the household of God. In verse 20, we are told that you are not an orphan in the family of God. There are no orphans. There are no orphans in the family of God. So don't feel like an orphan. Don't allow someone to treat you like an orphan. And don't let others feel like an orphan either. And number three, in verse 21, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Remember, in the temple, there were places where Jews could go and Gentiles couldn't. And then remember, there were places only the priests could go and nobody else could. But in Christ, the third principle we need to remember, there are no obstacles in the temple of God. Because your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so, brothers and sisters, the great truths we have is that because of Christ, there's no outsiders in the kingdom of God. There are no orphans in the family of God. And there are no obstacles in the temple of God. And if that's true for you and I, then it is true for everyone. And that means every wall of hostility that we build against one another needs to come crashing down. And so love one another. And show care and kindness to one another. And devote that brotherly and sisterly kindness to one another in deferring to one another and being kind to one another and, and showing grace and mercy to one another. And in doing so, you do what the Lord does and that is you tear down walls instead of building walls up. And you show the world that we are Christians as Jesus wanted us to through our love. Amen?